This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Jeremiah 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamaria, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. They are not prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. I'm actually only going to be preaching on verses 4 through 11, but since Ted was making me preach this morning, I wanted him to try to pronounce all those names in the first few verses. He had to do a little bit of work. And so, uh, thanks, Ted. Appreciate that. You know, I'm not sure what all this talk about multi-site and visits to San Diego. Uh, A few years back, Harbor was putting together a golf team and um, we're, we're, the way we were dividing it up is that we were trying to find guys with handicaps from 0 to 10, 10 to 20, 30, 20 to 30. And we, we were having trouble finding guys with handicaps around 40. And I said, my friend Ted, but there's no way that they're going to let him fly out here once a month to play golf. So we crafted this multi-site scheme, and uh, Ted, uh, Ted has been on our golf team ever since. And we do really appreciate you allowing him to participate in that fashion. Is that what I was supposed to say? Yeah, it has been a great relationship with your church. Uh, uh, a few years back when Ted was beginning to investigate this whole multi-congregational, multi-site thing, uh, he did start coming out to harbor. And I'm sure in those early years, Ted benefited a lot from us. Uh, but I know that in recent years, that relationship has truly been reciprocal. Uh, the, the things that you guys are doing here, that the leadership of this church is leading you in in terms of creating a discipleship culture, uh, has imported health to us in San Diego. And so 
we are very grateful for this congregation's commitment uh, to allowing Ted to come out as often as he does. No, not to play golf, although we do try to do that periodically. Um, but really, uh, as an emissary from this church, New City, and uh, we are greatly benefiting from uh, his work out there. So thank you, Ted. And uh, I know that uh, this relationship has been mutually beneficial. I am preaching from Jeremiah 29 today, and I see some familiar faces. Uh, I thought uh, there's a couple families here that used to be in our congregation in Chula Vista, so I was wondering if Ted didn't have ulterior motives that he's beginning to recruit all our best people out here as well. And uh, it's good to see familiar faces from Chula Vista and some from when I served as a youth pastor here in Orlando several years ago. Uh, so my wife, Diane, and our three kids, uh, they were, wish they could be here with me this morning, but uh, they couldn't. Your church is cheap. They wouldn't fly them out. <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe next time. <laughs> well, as God's people, you are called to bring the shalom of God to the city of Orlando. And this really is another way of stating your volitional statement to pursue the city beautiful. So that's what we're going to answer uh, this morning. We're going to answer three questions. The first one is what does it mean to pursue the city beautiful? The second is, how can we pursue the city beautiful? And the third one is, why should we persevere in pursuing the city beautiful? So those three things again is, what does it mean to pursue the city beautiful? How can we pursue the city beautiful? And why should we persevere in pursuing the city beautiful? Now you need to know that the, the volition and vision of New City Church are in the crosshairs of what God is doing in the world. So whether churches scattered throughout the world stated as clearly and succinctly as the leadership of your church does, this is the vision of Jesus' church and the choice that we must make daily as God's people. And that choice is to pursue the city beautiful. And this is exactly the call that God reminds his people of through the prophet Jeremiah in the 6th century B.C. who had been exiled to Babylon, a city not unlike Orlando in terms of spiritual poverty and brokenness. And so let's begin by taking, what does it mean to pursue the city beautiful? Well, the operative word in our text this morning is the word, the Hebrew word shalom. And so every time I say shalom this morning from our text, that's literally the word that is there in the original Hebrew and shalom, while it was used as a greeting and also a way to bid farewell to people, it's actually a word that's pregnant with meaning and filled with theological import. It's a word that means prosperity and completeness, health and peace, fullness, rest, harmony. You get the picture. And it's a word that is also, what's absent from it is discord and brokenness and agitation, and everything that's wrong with the world from God's perspective. So a state of perfected shalom is the city beautiful. It's the universe, the world, and the cities within that world as God originally designed them to be without the presence of human rebellion and brokenness. It's heaven on earth. 
One of my favorite movies was this movie, Field of Dreams, that came out in 1989. Uh, I'm beginning to date myself a little bit. And in 1989, this movie uh, was, uh, the star in this movie was Kevin Costner. He played a, a guy by the name of Ray Kinsella. And he was an Iowa farmer who continued to hear this voice from heaven. And the voice kept saying, build it, and he will come. Build what? It was to build a baseball field in the middle of his cornfield. Well, see, the movie is all about reconciliation and the restoration of broken things, especially relationships. But you wouldn't tell that from the beginning of the movie. But there was this recurring question that kept coming up in response to the shalom that the film's characters continued to experience as they visited Kinsella's cornfield. And the question was this, is this heaven? And Kinsella would constantly respond, said, no, this is Iowa. It's not heaven. It wasn't until the end of the movie when Ray Kinsella himself experienced the enraptured delight of shalom through being reconciled to his estranged father that he began to consider his response to this standard question. So once again, at the end of the movie, he was asked, is this heaven? And his response this time, breaking the pattern of all his other responses, was, well, maybe this is heaven. See, the point is that heaven broke through. And when heaven converges with earth, you have shalom. And isn't this exactly how Jesus taught us to pray when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this is praying for the shalom of God to invade this broken world and your broken city. And this is what God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is calling the Judean exiles to in Babylon. In verse 7 we read, But seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. And in the same verse, God also tells his people, For in its shalom you will find your shalom. See, there's an appropriate phrase that comes into play here as it relates to how the Jewish exiles must have thought when they first read Jeremiah's letter. And that phrase is, left the reservation. And you know what it means to leave the reservation? It means you are completely out of your mind, Jeremiah. What are you talking about? See, the exiles were so opposed to this message from Jeremiah that actually false prophets arose in their midst to counter this message and saying, hey, do not, whatever you do, don't seek the shalom of this city. And here's why, because we're just passing through, we're going to be here a short time, we're going back to Jerusalem real soon, just forget about it. But God warns them, as we read in verses 8 and 9, that this isn't the case, and that you better listen to him. Through Jeremiah's words. You see, the, the truth is, is that the Jews probably thought that Jeremiah was collaborating with Babylonian leadership as a means to try to keep the natives pacified or maybe something far worse. But it's easy to understand, isn't it, why this message wasn't well received by the people in exile. You see, they had just been ripped from their homes and dragged 500 miles across the heat of the Syrian desert and deposited in labor camps to await their fate 
and their marching orders in Babylonian servitude. It's pretty easy to see that this message wasn't really well received. Seek the shalom of the city. And so we must understand that this call to seek the shalom of the city, the city beautiful, comes in the context of enmity, of hatred, of hatred of the city that these people found themselves in and the people that lived there. And to them, this call to seek the shalom of the city sounded absolutely and positively absurd. And see, if it wasn't for a prophet who arose some 600 years later, a prophet, the ultimate prophet, by the name of Jesus, who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, then perhaps such a call to seek the shalom of an undeserving city would be absurd, wouldn't it? You see, it's difficult, absolutely, challenging beyond question. Absurd, not a chance. Not a chance, not in God's economy of life. And so our first application to this text this morning is a commitment to pursue the city beautiful, to pursue the shalom of the greater Orlando metropolitan area. See, and for some people in this room, what that is going to mean is it's going to be turning from an attitude of divine retribution, get them, God, get them, and embracing the call to love and bless people very different from you. It means a commitment to seek racial reconciliation where the effects of racism still exist. And as November approaches, for some of you, it means hugging a Democrat. And I didn't think that one was going to get many laughs. How about a Republican? It means setting aside all prejudice. It means repenting of an us-them mentality. It means loving and praying for our enemies. So are you committed to the big idea of shalom, of pursuing the city beautiful here in Orlando? See, being committed in response to God's call to seeking the shalom of this city is the first step. Now let's take a look at how we pursue the city beautiful you see, it's easy to see the rebellion and brokenness of our city, isn't it? And to maybe even have the same mindset as these 6th century B.C. Judean exiles. And that mindset is this, is that the rebellion of the Babylonians and the secular people of our cities of San Diego and Orlando, their rebellion disqualifies them for the shalom of God. See, and it's this mentality that highlights how followers of Jesus in our day don't fully grasp the grace of God. The reality is that we can only begin to extend the shalom of God to others after we've experienced it ourselves. And the more we experience it, the more we desire to extend it to others. See, when we understand that we don't deserve God's shalom, but He gives it to us freely by His grace, when we begin to really get that, something changes inside of us. You see, the Jews in, in Babylon who had been exiled to Babylon, they should have understood this. And here's why. Because they were in exile because of the rebellion against God. And yet God continued to love them even in their exile. 
they needed what one modern biblical scholar calls a grace quake. A seismic experience of God's grace and an inner experience of his shalom that it might be turned outward toward their Babylonian captors. See, this really is the starting point about bringing God's shalom to any city. One must be a conduit of God's love before they can be used of God in this great work. But where do we see this in our text? We see it in this biblical principle, and it's this, is that God only sends prophets to those he loves. If you're here this morning, and you're a seeker, God has sent somebody in your life, and he sends friends who know Jesus into your life because he sends prophets to those he loves and those he's trying to seek and reach. God continued to pursue these people, his people in exile. God continues to pursue his wayward people. And in verse 4, what do we see? We see that God clearly tells them that it was him that sent them into exile. And it wasn't some act of terror exerted upon them by a, a foreign invader. It wasn't some arbitrary event, but it was God himself who took them into exile. And see, the significance of verse 5 that highlights the normal life, the normal life of planting gardens and taking wives and having children and giving your children in marriage and multiplying in Babylon is God's way of saying that you are still my kids. You are still part of my family. You are still the vehicle through which I am going to bring my shalom to the ends of the earth. God is pursuing them. He loves them. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, do you know how much God deeply loves you? Do you know how much God delights in you? That no matter what difficult things you might be facing, either through your own foolishness or the sins of others, that God is with you in your exile? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We are in exile too. We are not home yet. We are just like the Judean exiles in Jeremiah's day who weren't home. And like them, we are called to carry on God's good work in this city to bring his shalom, to pursue the city beautiful. So what does the good work of shaloming look like? That's right, you heard me said it. Shaloming. This is what my ninth grade English teacher got frustrated with me with. She said I would take words that had no right being verbs, and I did it anyway. So we're going to run with it this morning. Maybe it'll catch. What does the good work of shaloming, pursuing the city beautiful, look like? after we've understood that only those in Jesus Christ can actually bring about the shalom of God to any city. Well, at least two things happen when a person experiences God's grace that are foundational to bringing God's shalom to the city. One is that you become part of a community. You become part of the body of Christ. You become part of the family of God. And the second thing is that you begin to see the world through new eyes. These two things can be summarized in the following statement. Shaloming, a city, is a team sport by which we see the world 
from God's perspective. Shaloming a city is a team sport by which we see the world from God's perspective. My oldest son, Joshua, last spring was beginning to comment that he was having trouble with his eyesight. But he would back off these comments every time that we mentioned the word doctor. And so one day uh, after his baseball game, he was having trouble evidently seeing the ball. uh, And he wasn't really being completely honest with us about this because of the word doctor. He was just torn up because he was getting benched because he wasn't playing that well. And so my wife Diane and I realized that it was time to take him to the optometrist. And so when we did, uh, we found out that he had 20-80 vision. I have no idea how this kid ever made contact with the ball. And Diane and I, we're, we're just sitting in the back during his appointment, just feel like the worst parents in the world. Just like, ah. So if my kid never gets a scholarship, you'll know why. But when they began to get the right prescription right, you know, when they start dropping those things down, his world came into vision. It came into focus. And he was so filled with joy, he couldn't believe what he hadn't been seeing. You see, none of us can see things clearly without the lenses that God's grace provides for us. As it is, like Joshua, our vision is not just fine. But as our spiritual vision improves through a greater understanding of God's truth in community, we see things that we never saw before. And these things that we begin to see bothers us They begin to bother us in ways that we never would have been bothered by them until we became a follower of Jesus. We have new eyes. But this happens in community, as God's family. Shaloming is a team sport. You cannot shalom a city by yourself. The needs and the brokenness are just too large Let me illustrate how the necessity of the church working together is foundational in just one area of need in San Diego. Just one. And it's a big area. It's the area of human trafficking. There's a woman in our church by the name of Susan Muncie. And Susan received a burden from the Lord uh, that our city would never be beautiful and would never experience shalom as long as human trafficking existed there. You see, San Diego is an international gateway for human trafficking. It's one of the ten places uh, in the United States um, where this happens most often, where young women and young girls get trafficked in North America. You might ask, well, what can one woman do about such a massive problem? Well, here's what she did. She got to work eradicating human trafficking. One prayer... One act of obedience, one day, and one girl at a time. Susan established uh, this nonprofit organization called Generate Hope in response to God's call on her life. And Susan started with a burden because of her love for Jesus and her growing conviction that God's shalom needed to come to our city and exterminate the twisted, broken, and vile reality of human trafficking. And it started with one woman, a burden with one woman, but our whole church has gotten involved. We have people in our church who are involved in tutoring girls who are rescued out of this. We have something called Tacos for Freedom where our whole church gathers together and hosts this event to raise money for Generate Hope. 
Shaloming is a team sport. And so my question to you this morning is what is your burden? Because oftentimes when broken things, when God fixes broken things in a city, he starts with a person. He starts with a man. He starts with a woman. And they have a Popeye moment. And you know what a Popeye moment is, don't you? Popeye the sailor man. You know what this, remember Popeye? He would be hanging out with his buddies and usually he'd get to a point where he'd see some injustice usually coming through the vehicle of Brutus. And what would would Popeye do? He would start steaming. He'd reach for the spinach and he'd say what? I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. See, Susan Muncy had a Popeye moment. She looked at young girls being trafficked, sold for profit. And she said, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. See, when the grace of God touches you, you have Popeye moments and you become an epicenter of shaloming that is going to emanate out from you in community, in your church. What's your burden? Where is New City currently shaloming the city that you can participate in? See, it's really your move. Now, some of you might say, hey, that's, that's pretty cool stuff. That's pretty motivational. I know that I'm probably not speaking to anybody in this room, but if there was somebody who might be a little cynical about these things, cynical why? Because when you look at the brokenness in the world and you look at these things, that you say, man, but that just makes a little dent. It's too big. The, the problems are too massive, even in our city of Orlando. So why should we even persevere in this? Because if it's just three steps forward and two steps backwards, why should we persevere? Well, let's look at why. Why should we persevere in pursuing the city beautiful? Well, I'll start by telling you that a few of the girls that Diane and I, my wife, have mentored through our work with Generate Hope are back into prostitution. The same girls that sat around our family room floor who ate dinner around our table who played board games with our children are now prostituting themselves again. And it's very, very painful. But I'm reminded also of one of my favorite quotes. And it doesn't come from John Calvin or Martin Luther, but from ex-heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson. (laughs) This guy's got a lot of good stuff to say. I'm only going to share one of them this morning. I got a whole Rolodex of Mike Tyson quotes. A reporter phrased this question to Mike Tyson. He asked him something like this. He said, Mike, your opponent has been watching films of your other fights, and he has a plan to beat you. What are you going to do about that? And in his signature high-pitched voice and lisp, and I'm not going to try to impersonate him because I will just look silly, he said, man... Everybody's got a plan until they get hit. Isn't that awesome? That's my life. Man, everybody's got a plan until they get hit. 
You see, the brokenness of life and our own struggles, the daily grind, the setbacks that we experience as we seek the shalom of our city can be utterly disorienting and discouraging and cause us to want to give up. You see, we had a plan to shalom well, and then we got hit. We got punched in the mouth by circumstances beyond our control, a bad economy, an unplanned illness, death of a loved one, a rebellious child, a broken or shattered marriage, a derailed dead-end career, and a host of other things that we could place under the banner of shattered dreams. And so we ask, what say you now, Jeremiah? What say you now, God? Well, Jeremiah 29 contains one of the most often quoted and memorized verses in the Old Testament. It's a magnet verse. And you know what a magnet verse is? It's one that's so popular, they make a magnet out of it. And you put it on your refrigerator. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we read, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for shalom and not for evil, to give you a future of hope. See, and we know what this verse did not ultimately mean because we have the benefit of the entire word of God at our disposal, unlike Jeremiah. And we live on the other side of the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. See, God promised in our text to bring them home, but their idea of home was nowhere close to God's idea of home. God's idea of home is infinitely better than their idea of home. Their idea of home is going back to Jerusalem and, and getting back the land of Palestine. And when that actually did happen, you know, it was hard to get people to go back because they got used to Babylon. And when they looked at the brochures of Jerusalem post-exile, it was shrub brush. It was broken as nobody wanted to go back. And when they finally did go back and build a church there, they cried because the church compared to what stood there before the temple was awful in their eyes. See, but God's idea of home is so much better. Some 150 years before the events that when this letter hit the exiles in Babylon, God through the prophet Isaiah said this, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And the earth will be filled with shalom. All the cities of the earth, that is comprehensive shalom. See, God promised a future for his people, for humanity. And, and this future involves the entire earth and all the cities in it. And it's a state of perfected shalom with no remaining brokenness complete restoration. See, the Apostle Paul wrote of this in his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can even begin to conceive what God has prepared for those who love him, what this shalom will ultimately be like. You see, the principle is this, is when you know the outcome, and the outcome is delightful, you can persevere even when you get hit, even when you get punched in the mouth. Think of Jesus. 
How could Jesus, knowing that he was going to go to the cross, knowing the agony that he was going to endure, how could he do that? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us how. Looking to Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he knew the outcome, and the outcome was delightful. Resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father, glory, Lord of the nations, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, when you know the outcome, and the outcome is delightful, you can persevere to the end. Folks, we have read the final chapter of God's story. We can endure because of our future, our future of hope. Do you see it? Can you see it this morning? Jeremiah is telling the exiles in Babylon that God's plan for shalom for them is far beyond their wildest dreams. And if they can just get a glimpse of this, just a little glimpse of this by faith, it will empower them to seek the shalom of Babylon now. It will empower us to seek the shalom of Orlando now and of San Diego. There's a, a woman by the name of Dr. Ellen Davis, a professor of Bible and practical theology at Duke Divinity School. And she put forward some thoughts on this whole idea of shalom from Jeremiah 29, which I'm going to loosely quote in conclusion, but I'm going to weave in my own slant. Seeking the shalom of a city is what God expects from us. That's what a future of hope looks like in God's own white, hot imagination. A future of hope. Shalom, the shalom of an entire city is what it looks like in God's own white, hot imagination. God's people praying without ceasing for our enemies and for our broken city. Putting all our hope, all of our hope, in God's ability to craft shalom there. Peace and prosperity and all those wonderful things associated with shalom. Shalom, God's ability to do it. And to make shalom in places where the only raw materials are human misery, spiritual poverty, and brokenness. See, and we dare not say that God cannot turn present enmity and misery and brokenness into shalom. And here's why we cannot say it. Because God has done it often enough already. There is an empty tomb in Palestine that has been the impetus for resurrection power in ways that have reshaped nations and have rescued girls out of human trafficking in San Diego. And as I understand our work for this week, it's to pursue the city beautiful, to attend seriously to God's heated imagination, and to allow that to shape our imagination and our daily activities of shaloming the city, this city, in community. And folks, this takes courage. It takes courage. So this is my question to you this morning, New City Church. What wild visions, extravagant, extravagant and demanding, yet not absurd, what wild visions occupy God this day for this city? concerning each of you, your church and your city. See, if any one of you is able to
to seriously ponder that question and stand still long enough to bear and hear that answer, it will be because you have managed to encourage each other to do something bold and otherwise unimaginable. It will be because you have sought to strengthen each other as Jeremiah sought to strengthen the exiles in Babylon, that they might stand and that you might stand and hear what God is imagining for your life, for your church, and for the city of Orlando. Let's pray together. And Jesus, we, we thank you that the things that we have just considered from your word, uh, we thank you that uh, because we have not shalomed this city well, but you did that perfectly on our behalf. You are our righteousness. We have not prayed for our enemies well. We have not taken the posture towards them that you call us to as your children. But you have obeyed where we have failed, and you are our righteousness. And for this we give you thanks. And we give you thanks this day, Lord, that uh, you pursue us. That in your grace you continue to pursue us. In your love you continue to, to treat us like your children. And you discipline us that it might benefit us. And so we thank you that you don't give up on us. And so, Lord, today we pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would empower us not just to know your grace and the resurrection power that comes from your indwelling spirit, but that you might put a burden on our hearts and begin to give us the courage to walk in that, to walk towards it, to bring about shalom in a broken place, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in this city, in our places of work, in schools. Lord, would you use this church? Thank you for the leadership of this church. Would you continue to bless it, uh, that they might be a blessing to this city, to the end that this city would be made beautiful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.